Welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. I'm your host, Kelly Forbes. We are here to talk with educational professionals around the world to impact and influence the education system as we focus on cultural connections and the education of multilingual, diverse students. We're excited to have you join us today, and we sincerely hope you enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to Cultural Connections Lab. My name is Kelly Forbes and I'm so excited to be with an incredible, wonderful guest today on our podcast. I was truly talking to her just a few minutes ago and expressing that I would love to be able to introduce her as a dear friend of mine. However, um, I am just now able to really get to know this amazing guest that we have, and I'm excited to have a new friendship with her. Um, She is someone that, after being a stay-at-home mom to an award-winning activist filmmaker, top 100 podcaster, and sought-after international speaker, I am here with the infamous Denise Soler Cox. And she has her experience um, producing and inspiring content that sparks meaningful and transformative dialogue. In 2020, Denise was recognized as a featured host by Apple Podcast North America for her podcast, The Selfish Latina, which has listeners in 32 countries. Denise has been invited to speak on over 300 stages, including two TEDx talks, and has worked with some of the world's most recognized brands like Progressive, Microsoft, AARP, Facebook, LinkedIn, JP Morgan Chase, Salesforce, Procter & Gamble, Down Jones, Eli Lilly, KPMG, Starbucks, and Vayner Media, Sony, just to name a few. <laughs> Her work with Project Inye has been featured on NBC Nightly News, Forbes.com, CNN, NBC Latino, Chicago Tribune, Telemundo, Univision, Fox News Latino, Hola, and the Huffington Post. Denise is a distinguished member of the fourth cohort of the Stanford Latino Leaders Entrepreneur Program and was a National Association of Latino Independent Producers 2017 Fellow. She was honored to be selected as the 2018 recipient of the Bridge Builder Award in Education from the Virginia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Denise is currently in production with her second feature-length documentary. She just launched a brand new podcast called The Magic of Belonging Podcast, and she's also working on the forthcoming book about belonging. I would like to also direct you to her website, which is denisesoleroCox.com. That is D-E-N-I-S-E-S-O-L-E-R-C-O-X.com. Denise, yes. welcome to this podcast. Thank I'm so, so excited. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank everyone who's still listening after that very long bio. <laughs> <laughs> it's important, though. It was very important. Yeah. You come with just a huge, incredible background. Um, I'm truly honored to get to be in this Aww, space with you. And I thank, thank you, you for the space that you've created. Um, I first got to meet you in 2018, I believe wow. it was, 2017 or 18, I'm not quite for sure, um, at the Oklahoma Association for Bilingual Education Conference, awesome. whenever you shared... Um, um, uh, the the that story. That was my one hundredth event. It did was. I share that that night. You did. Oh you my did. Gosh, yes. That uh-huh. just, it just came to me. Yeah. That was a great night. It was fantastic, and um, I just remember meeting you and um, Dr. Taylor Tribble. Uh, 
who was on our um, our very first interview, um, but whenever he was able to interest, introduce me to you, um, like the work that you do just really inspired me and has actually mm. changed my life in many ways. And I think of you often. And like I said, still wear the t-shirt all oh, the time. That's so awesome. thank you so much yes. for all that you do. Oh, thank you for supporting it. And that makes me very happy to hear that it has made such a difference with you. Well, um, I, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful to have you here and excited for all of our listeners to get to, to hear and learn from you um, just as well. Um, but so this, tell us about this amazing journey that you've been on as you have accomplished um, just so much in your life, but uh, also this mission-based business entrepreneur and motivational speaker turned film director. What has that impact been on not just you personally, but also the people that you inspire, motivate, and serve? Well, so uh, thanks for asking about that. Um, first, I have to say that it feels really good to um, just like be in a space and thinking about all of these things, not from like a pat myself on my back feeling, but from a wow, like it feels good to look back and appreciate all the hard work and then appreciate these like moments in time where there was acknowledgement and recognition. So um, it's to answer your question, it's transformed me in all the ways that I had hoped that it would transform others, which I think speaks to when we feel a pull to do something with our life, um, you know, to do something great, you know, something uh, that maybe feels out of reach. Um, it's happening for a reason. That pull is there for a reason. And if you are able to answer the call, or if you do answer the call, chances are you get lots of growth experiences that, you know, in hindsight were very difficult, you know, as I went through them, but in hindsight, um, has made me, I feel like an incredible benefactor, the best or the biggest benefactor. Right. And then my hope is, is that I can help others feel the same, you know, in their life that I have, which is that they belong. That's incredibly important. And, um, I appreciate your, your kind of tone in that, you know, I feel like, like, like whenever you speak, it's like you said, it's not about, you know, I got my pat on the back or anything, but it's really kind of those moments that whenever you're able to be recognized, it's, it's much bigger than us as individuals. It's being recognized. We're doing this for service, for a community, for, um, for students in the education system, for entrepreneurs out in the world and for, um, a culturally diverse world. And so it's just bringing that awareness. And so your work has done that in so many great ways. And again, I just want to say thank you for, for, for all of that. Um, and so with that, though, like this is kind of fall, fall, falls right into this. But what do you want to give back to the world? What what is that legacy that you that you want to leave? Mm -hmm. I mean, so I guess what I what I want to what I want to have been known for is someone who tried to make a difference in this area. You know, some like there's so many people doing so many so many great things, especially in this space. And in this space called, I want to make sure that as many people as I possibly can reach know without a shadow of a doubt, which is very ambitious because belonging is a feeling and it's there and it's gone and then it's there and then it's gone. Right. So it's not like I can, it's not like turning on a light. Okay. This room's on, that room's on. It's not like that, you know, like <laughs> right. you kind of have to make sure every, as many lights stay on as possible. Exactly. But my mission is to really touch as many people as I can to remind them that they belong. And the reason why is because when we experience belonging, we then contribute, you know, and everyone's got something. Everyone, sometimes people, I always say, my nephew from Oklahoma, 
has the most incredible singing voice. And there's some gifts that I believe are obvious that I will put them in a God-given gift category. Yeah, right? wow. And, um, and he has one of those. And I believe everyone has one. And some are more noticeable than others, we'll say. So when you have a great singing voice, it's like, wow, that's very obvious. He's exceptional. And so his job is to, in my opinion, make sure that he takes that gift and gives it away to as many people as he possibly can. But he'd have to own and embrace that he belongs in the world of professional singers, right? But if he doesn't do it because he feels like someone like me could never be someone like that, then we, like, quote unquote, the world, miss out on on being moved from hearing his voice. You know, like there's some art, there's some music um, where it makes people cry because it touches our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. So some people are meant to do that. And, and we all, since we all have a gift like that to give, um, and since people will decide, I don't belong in a place, someone like me doesn't belong in a place like that doing that thing, then I am here to disrupt that. Yes. I'm here to say, no, you actually are. But my saying that doesn't make as much of a difference as them believing that. That is so powerful. Yeah. So the work that I do is basically trying to make you believe it. (laughs) You know, that's such a great way to put it because you're absolutely right. We have to be willing to assume our greatness. And then it's so crazy how we kind of have our own um, almost just sabotage ourselves in ways because we don't believe that we belong. And yet sometimes that's exactly the, the message that we're trying to share with others, but yet we don't internalize that ourselves. And then therefore we limit ourselves in ways that we can great, um, create greater impact in positive ways in the world. Thank you for reminding us to assume our greatness and to share it with everyone and to believe that we do belong. Yes. And there's like this beautiful tension with that. If I didn't feel the tension myself my whole life, then I wouldn't have been so incredibly motivated by the time I decided I, I'm going to do this. I don't know what it's going to take. And, and if you watch the film, you'll know that I had to make some personal sacrifices to make the film. But if, I, if, I, if that tension didn't exist between where I thought I belonged and where I didn't, right? And what I thought my life was for and what I believed I had the capacity to do, then I wouldn't, then I wouldn't have created such, um, like tension, right? Until finally it snapped. And I just, I just allowed myself to take on like the assignment as they say, right? And I'm like, okay, I don't, I still don't know how to do this, but I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then that guided me to my lessons and growth. And so now I can be hopefully relatable to people, which is why stay-at-home mom is the first thing you'll read in my bio, because I relate to other stay-at-home moms and moms in general, you know, like I'm a, I'm a human being that did something extraordinary because it was so out of my comfort zone. And you need to know that so that, and you meaning the collective you, that's you right. listening to this. Yeah, You need to know that because there's nothing different about me than any other ordinary person it's just i i decided to to listen to that voice and to decide i was good enough every moment that i was challenged and believed that i wasn't wow 
I often find myself sometimes in that same category that I can go out and try to help people and try to talk about communities of inclusion and things that we can do in this world to make it better. But then I feel like, but as a, a gay man in Oklahoma or as this or that, that maybe I don't belong and I have to, you know, like I have to, you know, con I'm a constant work in progress too. I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to grow from that. Um, but I remember that there was a, a time for me whenever I did feel that tension, like what you're explaining, I did feel that and I had in, and it was that tension that allowed me to have the passion that I do have and also create more levels of empathy within myself to try to be more understanding. But it was that tension that made me just kind of break free where I had to, you know, basically said like enough is enough. I have to be me authentically 100% to be the best version of me because I have a gift also to share with people. We all have a special something to share with people. But when was that moment for you? If you do you remember that moment where you were just like, ya basta. I, I, I gotta go like change the world right now because that tension has broken me. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to talk about two moments. So the moment that I had the idea to make the film was very, and then the moment that I decided to actually make it because they were 17 years apart. So the night that I decided wow. to make the film, I was a single woman living in Miami and I was out at a bar with a bunch of friends and there was nothing, um, uh, there was nothing different about this night. The, we weren't celebrating anything. We're just a bunch of friends like, hey, we're all meeting at this time at this place and we just were getting together, right? And so um, so we're literally just talking and I make a joke like we, we were doing what Latinos do or first gens do we were making fun of our parents' accents. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and if you're Keep first going. gen, if you have a parent from another country, <laughs> you're very good at imitating their accent, you know, just for <laughs> entertainment, you know? And so uh, anyway, we were doing that. And then the conversation started evolving. So we were having, you know, having fun, joking and laughing about how our parents pronounce certain things. And then someone started saying, have you ever felt like you didn't belong like in Puerto Rico like in my case like you weren't Puerto Rican enough and like with you know and living in New York for me like I didn't feel accepted by like the mainstream culture that I grew up in and people started agreeing like yeah I felt like that or my parents are from Cuba or Venezuela or whatever country and when they went back to that homeland they didn't feel that nationality enough and it was one of those moments that it seemed to be like in slow motion and because I was totally present listening and hearing other people put into words the way that I felt my entire life, which was, you know, that saying, ni de aquí, ni de allá, like mm -hmm. I, ha I didn't hear that until much later. Um, but that's how I felt. I'm not from here and I'm not from there and I don't feel good enough here or from there. And instead of those two places feeling like twice as good, which I think that a lot of people will say, and if you're listening and you say that, I forgive you for saying it, but it really doesn't help. In many ways, it makes things worse, and here's yeah. why. Because the person, I'm gonna speak for all people, right? I am right now, and there's always <laughs> exceptions. Um, and the reason why I can speak for all people is because I've spoken to quite a few people, and so I have a good a sense for the, for do, the, yes. for the community. And, um, because I don't feel it, and that's not my experience, then being told you're actually twice as good made me feel like, well, then what's wrong with me? Wow. You know, because I don't, I'm supposed to feel twice as good as this. I feel twice as bad now for even hearing it at all. And so that night, 
my world went from I don't belong, no one understands me, no one, um, I couldn't possibly talk about this, I don't have words to talk about this, and there wasn't YouTube or TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, there was no social media at that time, it was the 90s, and so I couldn't Google anything, I couldn't find any stories outside of literature. And even those places didn't really talk about it with the candor that was being spoken about it that night. And like this, I realized I belong. I ha- I'm not alone. Are you kidding me? And this feeling rushed through my body and I can't explain it more than I literally felt like a hundred percent. I need to make as many other people feel the way I do no matter what. This is what I'm here to do, and it has to be a movie. And I wasn't a filmmaker. I was a graphic designer working in a room by myself, never had training, um, but I knew that I needed to make a movie about it. And then, I'm, and then I got napkins out, and I started writing on napkins and asking my friends, wait, what did you say? How did you just say that? And I walked home or back to my car with the napkins and drove back to Coconut Grove knowing at 26 what my life was supposed to be about. It was the most amazing feeling. But the kicker is, is that by the time I got home, I had convinced myself I wasn't good enough. And I used the same, I call them the old reliable things, all the things that, you know, the devil, the angel, Mm -hmm. right? So like the angel, that's like our besties. They're like the ones that are like, yes, go, you could do it. I could see it. Oh my gosh, right? That's the angel. And we all need, all of our friends need to be angels. The devil was like, what are you thinking? Like, you've never done this. Who, Who do you think you are? You can't even speak Spanish fluently. You're not even a good Latino, Right because of all the things that I didn't feel enough about. And then my joke is, if you're Latino, you also have your mother on your shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Saying, I didn't put you to cut through college for this. What do you want? You're gonna go to film school now? What, you know, why don't you just take a job of what you got your degree in, you know? And so by the time I got home, there was no way that I could do this. And the only reason why 17 years later I decided was because it, wouldn't leave me alone. The idea would not leave me alone. And I'm like getting chills on my arms just telling you all over my body because I remember I only saw a world where this was needed. And so, but my fears were bigger than my dream. And it wasn't until the day that I decided, basta, I'm doing this, um, that I I set myself off on the course. But the thing that is really important for people to hear is that I didn't um, go to film school. I didn't even pick up a book about filmmaking. I didn't, YouTube was out. I hadn't watched a single movie or any kind of education about filmmaking. So that knowledge in my case, which is what I was putting between me and doing it, was of no consequence. Uh I did it anyway. Yeah. It didn't matter. You didn't need that. I didn't need that. No, I didn't need that. That's just a skill that we, you know, to maybe, that's just maybe a connector to something. But what you were doing though, I mean, that is, that's mission work for lack of a better word. That is really changing people's lives and letting them know that they do belong and that there is worth there. Yeah. 17 years though of waiting. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) you all can't see me, but I got a little just teary eyed with this. 
I mean, it's like the work that you're doing. It's, you know, like you, you wake up every day and you know what you're supposed to be doing and you might not have known how, but the how didn't matter. You could figure out the how you can learn, Yeah. right? There are books, there are places to go to learn. <laughs> like this is not what's in the way. I had to get to the point though, where I also just had to say, I don't care if I lose everything. I get it. And that saying, I don't care if I lose everything yes. is the biggest freedom you can have to be your everything. Yes. You so know? true. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So snap it out. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the movie, but if you see the film, you know, yes, that I did lose some pretty significant things. Nothing important though. I didn't lose anything important. Exactly. And, uh, and, but the, and there were choices I decided to, um, I decided to do some things so I could be more freer financially. We'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and you could see, look, I'm wearing a ring now. So my husband and I just got our new wedding rings. We had, uh, I'll just ruin Congratulations. it for Thank you. <laughs> so my husband and I sold our wedding rings so I could afford to keep making the film. And that was years ago. And uh, it was a big decision. Uh, it was a very fast decision, though, once I realized, like, oh, my gosh, we're not going to have enough. And, uh, and I thought, what can we sell? our rings and uh, that's what we did and luckily i married to somebody who was all in on this and on me and that knew that but and believed in me right and so it was mortifying to sell the rings however um i i have a saying now or something that i say now which was rings do not a good marriage make and i had a chance to learn that for reals in the time between we sold them and and the time that we bought the new ones, which was last uh, late last summer, I think, and it was so meaningful to the both of us, and um, and it wasn't like a financial decision. I partly thought um, maybe we shouldn't get them because I feel like things are going so well. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to jinx my marriage, uh, but then That's like. Funny. <laughs> Selling the rings is one thing, but buying new ones? Yeah, I don't, like, know. I don't know. That might change things back. Or they, I mean, the thing is, they were good before, right? right? Which is the only reason why he would be willing to do of it. Of course. But, what a great um, partner, too. It was aw Yeah, it was great. And so we went out to lunch. We picked up the rings. We went out to lunch. And I was like, wow, like, it just felt so good. You know, things work out. Yeah. Things really work out. And they're now just symbols of things having worked out. Selling you know? material things like rings is nothing in comparison to selling your identity. Oh my god. Giving up on that. Wow. Yes. Yes. I mean, and we do that so often and so many times. Yeah. Um, wow. I love that. You just said that. I, it just came out in the moment, wow. I guess. But wow. But I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about with my partner, yeah. um, not actually married right now, hopefully, maybe soon, listeners. Uh -huh. um, but uh, I mean, we, to, to be completely honest, one of my friends had opened up a vape shop and we went for his grand opening and there was a little band and someone that was just making rings there on the side, they were like five, Aww. $10. And so we made it. Um, and then we're just wearing like these ring people think, are you guys married? Are those are your rings. I say, no, I mean, these are just little cheapo rings, but then you wear it forever. But you're like, it, it's the symbol. Mm -hmm. It's it's what it's what matters. It's that love. Yes. And so we don't have the piece of paper, uh -huh. um, but we have that love. Yes. You have the piece of paper. You have that love. You sell the ring. You have that love. Whatever. Yeah. But you know, it, it, you you really stop and you look back. At least myself, I can speak for myself and realize those are really just material things that, like you said, so are they're just symbols yes. of something greater. Yeah. Um, but how just incredible that you have a partner that supports you that much. Um, Congratulations on that. That is incredible. Thank you. Um, 
Do you remember though, whenever you were and this isn't on here at all, but just thinking about it, is there any specific comment that you remember um, from that night that you were with your your friends, your girlfriends, right? And you wrote down yeah. on the napkins. Like, is there is there one like one comment that just kind of stood out or anything in, in particular? Well, so the one where it was, have you ever felt like you're not Puerto Rican enough? You know, and uh, and I had never thought about. I mean, I've never said those words. It's funny these feelings that I talk about so easily with you and that I know you're familiar with because of the work that you do are so internalized at one point in someone's experience that, it, you know, without social media, it didn't enter my, my world until I was 26, where now it's getting into maybe a 10-year-old's TikTok or, or 15-year-old's um, TikTok or what have you. You know, people talk about that a lot now, mm-hmm. but back then there just wasn't any access to those kind of conversations. Really so, for that, yeah. Yeah, and so the so that her saying that stopped me in my tracks because when we believe the thing is we don't believe or that when when people say um, what are your negative belief systems about money? Let's say you know people say that what are your negative belief systems about whatever. And it's an impossible task for me to tell you because I still believe them. And they're not classified <laughs> as negative. They're classified as beliefs, yes. things I believe is true. So I, how can I peel myself away from, from my own beliefs, right? Until someone says something so true that all of a sudden we, we slip out of uh, you know reality like a water flying out of the water, let's say, right? All of a sudden the, the, the fish is out of water, is, the fish is out of water, and it's like, wow, I'm swimming in water. But before they know it, they're back in the water. Uh-huh. So that's what that moment was for me. It was this moment of great insight. And then the feelings rushed in like I'd never experienced. I'm not alone. And they were so profound that I'd never experienced anything like it ever before or since and here's the most fascinating thing is and there's science and research that backs what i'm about to say is the reason why i immediately wanted to make a movie is because when someone experiences belonging like like real belonging they want to give it away because they realize it's like having too much fruit Take, how about you want an apple? Take an apple. I have so many. I, I, I have more than I could possibly eat, right? It's like that feeling, like I have so much. You need to enjoy this right now too. But we can't, it, that's not even intellectual. It happens automatically. right? And that's why belonging is such a beautiful thing because if people experience it, they immediately want to contribute. And so what would a world be like if those of us who didn't feel belonging felt it? What? How could we? I mean, like the kind of quantum leaps that would happen in industry are amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's what I devote my life to. I, and I think it's extraordinarily worthwhile. And the, the thing that makes it and keeps it interesting is that, like I said, it's not like a light. It is like it's like a light that's turning on and off all day long. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do we keep it on is the question. Um, so that's what fascinates me. It's it's so powerful in making, um, you know, a, a, a true connection for myself in this is that, and for anyone out there listening who also identifies as part of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, you know, there are comments that are made sometimes about, for example, and there was, um, <clears throat> my partner was in a conversation um, discussing um, blood types. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And he was like, I don't know my blood type. And I actually don't know my blood type either. Really? But the the reason behind that is because we're not allowed to donate blood. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> um, open league amen, not plasma, blood, um, anything like that, even though it goes through a, a ton of tests. And so, I mean, I could go back and look at my birth certificate and, you know, look at my records and figure out what that is. But it was in a moment that whenever he was having this conversation with me that we were both really identifying the fact that we we don't even know our blood type necessarily, which is was really crazy to just consider and think about because we don't we can't donate at the Red Cross. We can't go to, you know, a plasma center and, and donate. Um, and so it was, you know, the, you, you don't you feel like othered, you know, like definitely other, like yeah, really pushed out. Um, anyhow, but in that comment, though, there was um, uh, and, and there was a great conversation around this. And so sometimes like I love to have these conversations because they get to be real difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there was a comment made because he just has like perfect, amazing hair all the time. Right. And so stereotypically gay. Right. Like that was the thing. And so the comment was, well, maybe if you just, you know, mess up your hair a little bit, therefore wow. stereotypically straight, you'd be able to donate. But it was said like jokingly. Mm. until the person realized like, ooh, like maybe that. And so then there was a really good conversation about that. So mm-hmm. the point being is that there were two amazing people that had very open minds mm-hmm. that were able, that were found themselves in a moment mm-hmm. to come together to, you know, talk about belonging, yeah. you know, culture and things like that. What you are experiencing or did experience, I think, well, maybe still, I think we're, I mean, <laughs> Maybe we're always kind of on this continu- continuum experiencing these things. Yeah. Um, but uh, it really goes into, like you said, belonging. Tell us more about belonging and um, then the book Belonging that you're writing and how all this kind of does connect together. Yeah. So right before the pandemic, uh, so there was, I call it a phenomenon. And uh, because I was pretty much only invited to educational events where people were focused on the EL community, English language learners, the teachers that were teaching those students, the administrators, that whole world really embraced. That was like phase one of embracing my work. And then it was ERG groups, so employee resource groups, uh, resource groups, so you know affinity groups within these companies, however big or small, that are, are kind of like clubs. They were inviting me to come speak, and I was. Uh, I remember thinking. For the first Hispanic Heritage Month that I was invited to, someone said, hey, can you speak at our company over Hispanic Heritage Month? And I was like, yeah, when's Hispanic Heritage Month? And I had no idea. Oh my you know? goodness! And uh, but you know things have changed, right? I wonder if I wasn't I did not doing expect this. You to say that, so that caught me off guard. I'm so ironic, <laughs> but I really didn't or iconic. know. Iconic. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. But uh, but yeah, no, I didn't know when it was, and um, and so uh, why? Oh yeah, so so before the pandemic, I started getting invitations to speak to broader audiences. And I call those broader audiences more diverse because I was pretty much only talking before that to education and then Latinos, right? And then people from outside the community started inviting me in and they started appreciating nuanced stories. But more than that, they started appreciating um, stories of someone's lived experience and they started realizing that even though 
And this was a surprise to me, even though my film is very specifically about what it's like to be first gen in the United States, and it's not political. So very creative, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's really an identity piece about yeah. that. Because it was about something so specific, it felt like it was for a much bigger group. Oh, and yeah. that's, and again, I had no idea that the best storytelling is about something uber specific so that the group can connect to it. Had no idea that that would happen. And so, um, and then George Floyd happened. Mm. And then people were forced to pay attention in areas where they were just maybe moving their eyes away from. Now the, you know, at large people were having to look at my work just as they were having to look at a lot of other people's work, right? And it was during that time, really right before the pandemic that I identified my work is about belonging. Um, because how I articulated it was, I'm here to make sure that every last person that I meet knows they're not alone. And another way of putting it is, you belong. Mm -hmm. And I made that jump out of, I don't know how, but I realized if I center my work around belonging, I can get on bigger stages and I can talk about my findings in the first gen Latino community to a broad audience. And I can gift this conversation and really the, uh, the opportunity to spark other conversations. Cause yeah. I'm, I show up, I talk, I hang and then I go. And really what my hope is, is that people will let contemplate, percolate, discuss and change things as a result of new ideas and new thinking um, that they had while they were hearing me speak. Right. And so after the pandemic, the my focus, my branding, my positioning, I'm, I'm on, speaking of continuums, I continue to sharpen, which is why I launched my a brand new podcast called The Magic of Belonging, because I really want to center everything on, let me teach you how, let me teach you about belonging, let me teach you how to create it, um, and let me teach you like the elements and why it's good for business, right? It's good, and the thing is, education, it gives us a lot of information. There's a lot of research in education, which I talk about something called positive interdependence, which is literally yes. like, that's like education, yo, that's like, you know, people researching the best outcomes with kids. And if they can experience positive interdependence in the elementary school years, they will go on to live happy, awesome lives of contribution and awesomeness. So how come no one's taking that research and bringing it to the rest of the world. Yeah. That's what I am doing. I'm, I'm introducing that idea and I call it like the ultimate, I got your back. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, but like, that's what it looks like in corporate America. You know, when, when, when we all get that, unless each of us are successful, none of us are successful. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the idea. And so I try to explain that and, and hopefully inspire companies yeah. to think, how can we create that here? You know, all of us are so incredibly unique. Right. And so I always try to consider what like intercultural connectivity can look like in such a place where we get beyond just advocacy, but it's truly, of course, advocacy is a huge part of that, but right. the allyship part, yes. you know, to understand like my success is your success and your success is my success and our success helps the student's success, for example. Yeah. And so understanding that and how we all belong in this sphere and there's a place 
for all of us. Yes. And with, a need. And a need and for a all need of for us. All of us. Yes. And a need for people that don't think like me. A need for someone that can push my thinking a little bit as well. Um, that's why I love having these conversations because it makes me continue to grow because I know I don't have all the answers. I appreciate Same. you getting to be here so I can continue to, to learn more and you get to teach me more about belonging. Oh, thanks. Um, but no, it's it's really, really important and really special, um, not just in the pre-K through 12 sector, but like you said, in the business world, and we do have research that shows that whenever we have a multicultural or a multi-diverse um, group or organization, that the outcomes are always higher. Right. So not only can it be beneficial for businesses, um, for you know economic financial purposes, but it also is just helping with like basic human rights. Right. I mean, just basic belonging. Yes. Like you are special mm-hmm. and you are wonderful. Right. Exactly as you are. Yeah. Just be respectful and nice. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting when I really get like uh, that idea. Um, I'm, I'm only nice because I'm in touch with the only other emotion that's next, which is love. Mm-hmm. So how could someone that's in touch with their most loving self not be nice? Mm-hmm. And so that's what, um, I just said this on a stage in Chicago. Um, I was explaining all the stuff and I don't know, like I, being on these stages, I have this bizarre feeling like, um, I'm a total empath. And the only way that I am at my best is when I am the most open, which makes me Mm -hmm. extraordinarily vulnerable. Um, and the gift is I can sometimes feel the audience. And I was like, wow, I feel like they're going to get this. If I say this, right, this is the chatter that's going on in my head as I'm delivering my keynote. And I said, so if you're wondering, for those of you who are wondering in the audience, if I'm talking about love, I am. Right. The longing is about love. Belonging is what, love is what belonging feels like. And and it landed, you know? And that's, that's what we're talking about. So like, you don't have to teach someone to be kind when they're in a space of love. They just will be kind. How do you best love yourself? Well, you know what? Doing this work what does is that a, look like? Yeah, it's a constant reminder. So the I can't, you know, I'm just like everybody else, being um, human, and you know, having areas where I could do better. And so it's great to have a community of people around me that echo echo some of the things I say to them. So I actually have a have a mastermind that I lead where I help ambitious Latinas just like boss up and get their dreams into reality. And I, and they are like precious little gems in my life, constantly reflecting to me, um, what it looks like to embody this work. And so I, I feel like I have to be my best in a way, in the best way possible, like no pressure, but embody what you say because they're watching you yeah and what if you're trying to coach them and you're not embodying this then they're not going to believe you you know you seriously whenever you're in this line of work you have got to practice exactly what you preach because you are the model you are the exemplar for this and that that's a heavy weight to carry sometimes but it's one that we must assume if we're truly going to try to impact this world in a positive way through the understanding of how wonderful diversity is and how that diversity really brings us so much unity. Yes. A hundred percent. I love it. Oh, I love it so much too. <laughs> um, 
so, but I, I, I think I can relate also to what you're saying in the aspect of like whenever you're kind of finished doing that speech or you've talked to the audience, whenever I'm able to be in a professional development or giving a training or just talking with someone on the street or whatever that is, it's afterwards, like there's this moment where you, I just feel like this huge amount of gratitude mm-hmm. that I was able to, to one, learn from the other person, but two, to hopefully be a positive impact for that person to remind them mm-hmm. how special and unique they are. Yes. You know? Yes. That's that belonging truly is so powerful. Um, and I think it helps us be more belonging in our own selves. I'm more aware of who we are, um, not just our cultures, but just, you know, truly who we are deep inside of ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, how that can help impact the world in such a greater and better way whenever we can love ourselves more. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? Yeah. You know, yeah. we've heard and that then, before. Um, and that, like practically speaking, like what does that look like, right? So here's a practical example because the way I see it is belonging is the, a two-way street. In one way, it's my job in, in places and spaces that I want to be. It's my job to get myself in a mental and emotional place to own that place at the table, right? So I went to pitch my second film idea uh, to HBO and uh, when I, in New York City, and when I was interacting with the gal, um, the executive assistant of the person we were going to pitch, she said, okay, after you get your badge, come up to the whatever floor and, uh, and then you'll see the Wonder Woman costume in the case and then make a right there and then you'll see all the costumes from Chernobyl go down that hallway <laughs> and I'm like... Where Holy am I going? Moly, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a Wonder Woman costume, like the Wonder Woman costume. And then there's all the stuff from Chernobyl and like, and then the big room that we were in. And it's like, I had to do my breathing exercises, which is really what I do. Like it's a practical way that I connect and ground myself in my own belonging you know, it's, there's that, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror, repeating whatever affirmations. And for me, it's the putting my hand on my heart and really believing and like centering myself in what I'm most grateful for in my life. That's what gets me centered. That's my job, right? Because there are places and spaces that listeners right now feel like they want to exist in and they don't realize that there's something that you can do. You know, there's something you can do to believe that you belong there more and to, to quiet the crazy thoughts in your mind. And the second is, how can we help people feel and experience belonging? How can I set the table so that people will feel welcome? How can I greet people at the door? I have a joke about my Oklahoma family, my in-laws. <laughs> and my joke is, because I'm Puerto Rican, so when Puerto Rican um, knocks on the door at their family's house... Everybody gets up yeah. and they, they, they greet you and they love, it's like they love you. They smother you with the love, you know, and there's like this expectation that every single person will be acknowledged. So growing up, I had to kiss on the cheek every single person in the house before I went to the bathroom and before I got myself anything to eat or drink. It's just how it was done. And even though, you know, things probably change for the better in that area, in some areas, <laughs> it's, um, it's good. It's a good practice to acknowledge each and every human being that's existing in the space, right? And how can we do that for others? So how can we set the space, uh, for others? Because my Oklahoma family, um, they often don't get up when you go to the door. Um, they often don't um, 
look away from the television that's on. And that is, uh, and I don't know if that's an Oklahoma thing or if that's a self-reliant thing, a non-Latino thing. But uh, I remember telling my husband, like, we just drove 10 hours and they didn't even get up, you know? And he realizes now, I call him the gringo cowboy. He's my husband from <laughs> Oklahoma. But like, he realizes now, like, yeah, it's, it's nice when people are greeted with love, right? And so how can you create that space? So what was your question? Because I was answering a really good question. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're answering oh, it truly. Yeah. Wait, what was it? Well, uh, talking about how, um, I mean, coming back to this, you know, belonging in ourselves and loving ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... Those two things have to be present, right? Uh That's how you create it. It's not just all my responsibility and it's not just all your responsibility because for 17 years, I made a decision. I don't belong in rooms like that. I have this great idea, but someone like me doesn't belong in a place like that. So I self-selected myself out of that. And, you know, there is... There are structural things. Yes. There are structural barriers. And the only way we get through, those of us who feel ready, okay, because some won't feel ready in this minute, but one day you might, taking responsibility for how you bring yourself into that space so that you own the space that you're occupying and you're calm and you're passionate and you're confident, right? That's your responsibility, And then it's my responsibility as a person that's greeting you to make you feel amazing Mm -hmm. so that you can do your best work. So it's really those two things. And that I, I did say that to answer something, and I hope that makes a difference for somebody because I lost my space. Well, you said exactly <laughs> what you were supposed to say. <laughs> okay. Truly, whatever you said, I mean, that's what someone needed to hear. That's what our listeners need to hear. So, whomever you are out there, there you go. <laughs> um, but it's incredible to consider that you felt that way, but yet you were in the same room as the Wonder Woman costume. I mean, yeah. you are a Wonder Woman, you oh. are a wonderful woman. <laughs> And you, but but I mean, I want to just encourage our listeners though, at the same time to understand that you too can be in that room at HBO. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter from where you come. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what happened five minutes ago. It matters that you know that you belong Mm -hmm. and love yourself and allow yourself to belong as we help others do that exact same thing. Yeah. That is very powerful. Um, so this, this is, um, from, uh, your website, I believe, or your LinkedIn. I'm not, I don't remember for sure, but it says fueled by her own identity crisis as a first generation American Latina born to Puerto Rican parents in New York, Denise struggled to fit in in her surroundings. Now we've explained that we've talked about that, but then you also discussed straddling two cultures. And this is just like mind boggling to me. And um, I just can't wait to, to hear anyhow. It says in here, the Puerto Rican lifestyle at home. So these are the straddling two cultures, the Puerto Rican lifestyle at home and the American dream beyond those four walls. Mm-hmm. Denise experienced firsthand the challenges, compromises and inequalities that many sons and daughters of Spanish speaking immigrants go through every day. And so whenever you consider that many of us who are not part of a dominant culture, whether that be based on language or geographical location or gender or identity or whatever that culture may be. um, If you can just speak more to that, but what was so just like, I guess if I'm being honest, just like disturbing to me and what just like really frustrates me about all of this is that one, why would we ever treat anyone differently Mm. as being part of the human race? But then whenever you consider the relationship that Puerto Rico and the United States have, yeah. it's and to be the quote unquote 
immigrants. I mean, it just mind what's going on (laughs) right like that doesn't make any sense to to me personally and so but i also know that um i don't have those experiences Mm -hmm. but you have your own variety of experiences i would say yeah um i'll I'll never forget the first person that was part of the lgbtqia plus did i do it right yes exactly okay Um, so if I, i feel like if i missed a letter let me know um when they said you're literally telling my story. Like your movie just told my story, mm-hmm. you know, about, of coming out. And I, and I was like, tell me more, tell me, start from the beginning and just plug it in from the different parts of the film. Because, um, that made me feel really, really good that I could make something that would validate someone else's lived experience too. Right. Yeah. So, uh, That's- so when we live in justices, we're just surviving them, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there isn't like, hang on, can I push pause? Like, is there a pause button in my Don't life you here? Wish. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish, but we all know, like, at 10, 6, or younger, like, we're surviving those moments, and they don't make sense to us. Like, but I think because, uh, and I think because they're not, people aren't actively talking. So, like, in the 80s, that's when I grew up in New York, no one was talking about this stuff. It wasn't until a bar when I was that 26. Night. So the fact that you do the work that you do and that the, the EL teachers are out there doing the work that they do and that Taylor's doing the work that he's doing, the work, this work, bringing it into classrooms and to teachers and administrators and bringing it into the, the vernacular and bringing in the lived experience and sharing the art that has been made to reflect this experience, to use, to inspire these conversations uh, and point to the research, mm-hmm. That ha- that's super important because the injustices haven't changed. Nothing much, unfortunately, has. However, more and more people, meaning people's humanity still show, right? People are still being raised by people that will say, actually, no, you're not American or you are American. You know, that was the thing for me when I grew up. I would say, they would say, what are you? which is very insulting to a lot of people. I was going to say already. I'm like, what? Yeah. And like for me growing up, it was a pain point for me. But um, but for a lot of people, they just get very mad about it. I am um, I am one of the, the only people out there that I have. I take no offense to being asked that question. However, I remember the conversation and the comments afterwards. Yeah. Those were always the hardest ones. And again, if someone brings them up now, which no one does, of course, because I'm not triggered by them anymore. <laughs> but I'm like, come on, somebody, please bring this up so I can school you on what you just said. But yeah. no one will ever bring it up. And that is, um, people would say, what are you? And I would say, I'm Puerto Rican. And then they would say, you know, you're not, you're American. And then I would say, and instead of just bringing up the sordid history that America has with Puerto Rico. I was, right. I was 10, you know, yeah. or younger or just a little bit older. I didn't have the intellectual capacity to bring up those arguments, right? Like I was still figuring out who I was. And so we don't have those tools and we don't have the maturity. I mean, let's face it. People that are my age are still more pissed and get triggered, which guess what? I get triggered too. So like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not hating on people that get triggered, but an inordinate amount of people get triggered by the what are you question. Um, I think I think that one is 
is good to kind of put to bed. Like let's let's just answer it and be willing to be in the conversation with About the person. It. Yeah. Because it's like uh, because if we're triggered, that means that we're still in pain, and that means that we still have some work to do. Yeah. And the only reason why I am okay with that question now is because I've done the work right? doesn't make me better. It just means that there's one less thing that I get upset about easily. <laughs> and as a, I don't know, a culture and ethnicity, I feel we, uh, you know, and maybe there are people listening, like, I loved her until she said that. Now I don't <laughs> love her. But I think we, we could use some, you know, like, let's stop. Let's, let's stop for a minute and see what we, where we can grow in that area, mostly for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I'd like to not, you know, it's like the guy in the car that's driving, you know, um, beeping the horn, like right outside today, my husband stopped for two minutes to let me out in front of the building, two minutes. And my 13 year old daughter had to get out from the back seat to the front seat. But there was someone behind him that just, she just was like on the horn, boom. You know, I'm like, what are we in New York City at a, at a light here? Like. Two minutes. That's it. But but it's like that level of triggering, yeah. right, is what happened. That's the level that some people get. They get so offended by being asked, what are you? But the opportunity is, what do you think I am? Like, let's talk about this. Like, what are you? Oh, let me tell you. Latino can look all different ways. Like, the, the conversation that happens after, if I don't get pissed at you and personally offended, is really magical, right? Yeah. So let's have those. And even if you are personally offended, and if that does happen, try to, you know, process it for a minute. So, but to allow yourself to have that opportunity, because if we don't have these conversations, if we don't try to educate people and learn from other people at the exact same time and to listen for understanding, as opposed to, you know, to, to respond and things of that nature. Right. So we can actually have these conversations. And as you're talking about this, I really can kind of compare it to, or I had this thought, I'm like, everyone kind of has their coming out story, mm. you know, and it, mm. it may be coming out of the the closet. <laughs> mm-hmm. It could be coming out of 17 years of denying your space and your belonging yeah. and where that is. Yes. And that just really was impactful for me right now to hear that and to think like we all have a moment of coming out in yes. this realization but then I think it's doing what you're talking about right now. It's the it's one step further. Mm-hmm. And that's really having the mindset where we can have open, hard conversations without being triggered. And if we are, to learn how to manage that, because that's going to be a natural thing that'll happen. Mm-hmm. But the more that you process that and deal with that, it does go away more. Right. People can ask me very pointed questions and I'm at the point now where I say, ask me any question you have. I'm an open mm-hmm. book. I'm going to make this... Um, like a, this is a total judgment free zone. I want yeah. you to ask me because if I ask me anything right now before you go out and do something else, because I'll be your safe space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I had to understand myself and be okay enough with who I am yeah. for them to ask me very kind of sometimes very weird and inappropriate questions. Right. But I also knew that it was advancing their understanding yeah. of something deeper mm-hmm. um, that was apart from me. It was community and communities mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. It was really important. Yeah, and it's a, it's really a gift that you give to others. And you and exactly what you would just said, you have to give it to yourself first. And sometimes it does mean, oh, I gotta feel bad throughout this whole conversation. But what's weird is you don't have to feel bad in too many of them before you realize, I'm okay, I didn't die. 
And that was actually a really interesting conversation, you know, like I'm closer now to my adversary because immediately it feels so adversarial. Like I hate that person for asking me that because it means this, this, and this. But what about if it didn't mean that? Mm -hmm. And what about if that was all going on in your head? And I'm not saying that some of those people weren't trying to be adversarial because I recognize that that happens too. And... That's why I said it's a question of readiness. Some people of plain old aren't ready, but at some point you may be ready. Right. You know, and that's when you decide, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this, you know, look at this trigger today. I'm willing to, I'm willing to do that. <laughs> it can be very therapeutic and it lets you learn so much more just about yourself, which mm -hmm. I think helps again with the whole idea and the aspect of belonging to yeah. self and belonging in this amazing world in which we live and yeah. we have opportunity to always make it a greater and better place without honking horns. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> things like, like that. But when you, when you said we're all, we all come out, like one of the things that I found super interesting was, um, people, I don't know, at some point someone said, you probably have always embraced your Latinidad. You probably have always been someone like that. And I was like, I was absolutely not one of those people and a lot it, because I didn't feel like I was enough. And so I totally like any job that I had before project, any, any job I had before I made this film, nobody knew that I was Latino. That is no one knew. Yeah. Now we, so we were talking before a little bit about how, I mean, um, I guess there was the word obviously. Yes. Like you're, if you're, if you, will you, will you discuss that a little bit again that you're talking about, like how that came up? Yeah. So that this is something that in, in this work, so pre film, this never happened because I wasn't out yet. <laughs> But then I was out when I came out uh, as Latina and as a filmmaker and as someone, this crusader, right? Yeah. For people's identities and, and belonging in their identities. Um, that's when people would begin to come up to me and tell me, well, uh, and it started happening at the education conferences, but honestly, it happened just the other day at a, at a consulting client. And it would, that people would come up to me and say, well, I'm obviously not Latina, and I, and I would, um, you know, like that always sounded like a weird comment, like, like Latino. Like I'm not has, stereotypical. Or right. I'm, like, like I'm not, and what it's is like, this even connection? That, like even what is there, what, how do you define stereotypical? Right. You know? And so, um, you know, and I remarked back to the gal that told me the other day, um, the only thing that isn't obvious is that you don't have a Spanish accent. But if I were just to look at you, I would not know actually if you were and if you weren't. So just so you know, I wasn't offended or triggered. I'm yeah. like, this is just for your information. Yeah. There's nothing obviously not Latino about you. And in fact, most people have a darker skin tone than I do. Let's uh -huh. say that. It's so interesting. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, look at my skin tone. My family calls me pink. I'm not even white. I'm pink, you know, because they're all super dark. And in any case, I am, or my immediate family is. But um, but yeah, these assumptions around around that are fascinating. They they truly are. Um, there are you know people look all different. I mean, from all different countries look similar and different in so many ways, and there really is no obvious. And whenever you start using you know semantics like words like that, like obvious, obviously you are or you aren't because of how you look mm -hmm. or because of an accent. I think it's a really good moment for us to stop and say, why did I say that? 
Right. What is the unconscious bias or whatever I have in my head that you didn't necessarily mean out of a, a place of negativity or right. angst or, you know, hate even or anything like that? But whenever you start to recognize, like, those are words that I'm using that are enforcing and elevating, like I said before, like stereotypes or assumptions of people. Um, I just thank you for bringing that up because I think it's important for us to hear ourselves and what we say. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, like I said before, I am a work in progress. I all the time know that there are moments where I might say something that is culturally destructive and I need to be able to be aware enough and open enough to have other people help me be better yeah. in that as yeah. well. Yeah, like like when I asked you if you were Latino, I have no idea. No, you pero speak. sinceramente gracias por eso. Uy, oh my gosh, no, I, I, I like sincerely have like corazón latino. My salsa partner, Marcy, she always says que yo soy adoptado oh, en la comunidad. You know, so I always oh. feel so great, but... um. But, but so, um, and your so, accent is so authentic, you. too. Well, I, you know, and a lot of people ask me whenever I'm speaking, like on the phone, like, are you Puerto Rican? Oh, no. Like, it, it, yeah, huh? Yes. And I was like, oh my God, but you know, gracias. Yes. But no, but truly though, you like, because you don't know. I had a, I had a professor once in Argentina, blonde hair, blue eyes. There you go. There right? you go. Yes. yes. People ask me how I could have a redhead. I'm like, well, I have, I have ants on <laughs> These both so sides of my questions. family with red hair and green eyes. That's how. <laughs> like, I married a redhead, but you know what? You have to have it on both sides. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, it's not, you know, but it really is regional. Like, there are, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, that there's there's this conversation in to the depth that we're having it, right? This, this, can't, this is a super... Uh, powerful, awesome, rare conversation that we're having. And it requires a lot of, um, I don't know, like space in your mind for it. Right. And so I think there's different parts of the country that have a certain readiness level for it and some places that aren't as ready to have it. And that's sometimes when I'm interviewed and when I bring up these conversations, I'm not often talking to somebody like you that, you know, I feel like we're playing um, a game of tennis and I keep throwing balls and you keep throwing them back at me and I'm like... (laughs) This is really interesting. So <laughs> this is why uh, I adore you, and I did the first time I met you. <laughs> and it's really like so. This this you know hour or so of conversation. I hope that it helps people uh, because there's certain people that are ready for this kind of. Uh, and I don't mean if you don't. I don't mean to insult anyone. I'm just saying the quality of this conversation is a is really special to me because I uh, and the work that I do is very much uh, like. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm in sometimes like it's like it's obvious that I'm not Latino, you know, like you can I have patience for days, years, you know, and it's also really nice to be on the way other side of the pool on the deepest end, which is where we're swimming mm-hmm. and to be able to reflect on that, but also be able to talk about some of the things that I think about and talk about and that I'm working on in my book and the things that are important to me now, because you know, when you're steeped in this conversation on a daily basis, constantly hearing from people, constantly interacting, there's these things that I've been able to put together that are helpful, but they're only helpful to the extent to which they can be heard as helpful, right? And like doing what we're doing right now. Yeah. So A, I appreciate it. And uh, and B, I'd love to tell you a little bit about my book. So, um, so the idea for the book came 
after these screenings, after um, I would I was on the road going to all kinds of different places, and um, and there would be this line that forms with people. So some there's there's two types of people: people that are free to ask questions in front of a group, they don't care, or even if they do, they're like, I'm doing it anyway, right? They're gonna raise their hand, they're gonna ask the question. And then there are people that just can't bear to ask their question uh, unless they're face-to-face with me. And I respect both types, yeah. right? And so those people will wait online. And then there's just the people that want the selfie, and they're like, I just want a selfie and to give you a hug, and they'll love those people too. And so what would happen- I might on- be all those people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're the one that I would go out with afterwards because there's always that crew also. You know. You heard it. You heard it. You all are my witnesses. We're going out after this. So, um, so two things emerged. So the people would wait, right? And then invariably they would, if I could classify the things they would tell me, I would be able to put them into two buckets and one, and I call them secrets and dreams. The dreams would be of the people that really saw. Because if you watch the film, I know it's, you know, as someone who also watches movies and puts people on pedestals, um, I've done that too, you know? And then you see someone that you've seen in a movie, and then, and especially if you identify with my story, like I seem uh, maybe inaccessible or whatever, like this person that isn't like you. But as soon as you meet me and talk to me for 10 minutes, you know, like, I'm like your next door neighbor. I'm like your bestie. Let's go out for coffee or wine or whatever. Like, it doesn't take that long for people to get that I'm like friend level person. That's literally my experience today with (laughs) you. Like, you're my bestie. Oh, thank you. So, So a lot, what will happen is if someone has an idea percolating, this would be you before you went to your doctorate, before you went for your doctorate. This would be you before you decided I'm going for it no matter what, right? Um, but in just a few weeks, you're going to be a doctor, yes. right? And so like, so perhaps for your next big dream, this would happen, but I would hear people's dreams. They would say, because if, if someone like me, someone that they could relate to personally could do what I did, then for them, they feel like they could do it too, which is really cool for me to hear. So they would, I would hear their dreams. And then they would tell me what held them back, though. Like, I can't do it because of whatever. Um, like, there was a woman who told me, um, I really want to write a book about my life, but I'm waiting for my mother to die. Wow. And I was like, why does she have to die? <laughs> And she said, Is this a mystery? Well, no, it's actually, it's like, it's nonfiction. It's um, because I want to write about what it's like to be the daughter of an incarcerated um, mother. Oh, my God. And she said, I don't want to, you know, people worry that when they tell their story, they don't know where their story ends and someone begins or where their story begins and someone ends. You know, it's like these concentric circles, and there's this middle area where we have a hard time owning the whole thing and being able to say, no, this is my story and this is my perspective. Even if my sibling had a different story, we can still stand in our own experience of the same events, right? Uh, but I've gone through that process. Um, and so, and, and, and certainly going through it again with my book now, like thinking about those questions because I'm telling different stories now, right? But in any case, I would hear their dreams. And then, and then the second group, the second bucket, were people that would just share their secrets with me. And when you see the film, you're going to know, I didn't tell anybody any secrets. I might have shared some stuff that was hard to share, 
but it didn't reveal any secrets, anything that would be classified as a secret. But for whatever reason, people came up to me and they would share their secrets with me. And those people would say, I've always wanted to whatever, but I can't because I just feel so weighted down because of this. And I've never told anyone this, by the way. But they decided to tell me in a line after watching a film and after hearing me speak. And so it was very confusing for me to um, understand why this was happening and especially reconciling it with this like narrative that I have, which is I was meant to make this movie 17 years made the movie, but now I've got something else to do, right? And um, that didn't make sense in the narrative. Like, I thought I was done. I thought I would kind of just, like, you know, like ride this one for as long as I could ride it until until people stopped calling me to speak um, is how long I was, I, I guess, I would do this. But the next thing happened, and the next thing feels actually like the more important thing. It felt like being Enya, the film, and that work, seemed like what needed to, it felt like, and feels like the groundwork. It felt like what we needed to talk about before we could talk about this other stuff, which is what really holds people back, which is the secrets that we keep about our bodies, about our family, about our relationship with our parents, about our trauma, right? About money. And those are the secrets that people were telling me. And so then I had a major publisher reach out to me and ask me if I wanted to write a book. And if I did, once I got on the phone with him, you know, he wanted to know what I would write it about. And I'm like, I know exactly what I want to write it about. And it's about this. And so that is a little departure from what I would say my work is right now is teaching companies and organizations and school districts how to create belonging, right? That's kind of part one. And part two is this book where I talk about the stuff that this part, which <laughs> we're we're bawling over here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and this is meaningful because because we all have something that is like a, like a two hundred pound weight around our ankle that we feel is pulling us down, and like no one else is experiencing, and yet, right? I know that other people they are. are. Right. And I'm getting leg chills and all, all kind of body chills as we're talking. And as I'm seeing your response to this and, um, you know, I, I can't wait to read this book. Oh, thanks for saying that. And, and really it's for you and it's for anyone that ever felt like they had to hold on to something that wasn't theirs. Right. And that they can let go of it. And I'm not, it's not to say you have to announce it to the world, but it is to say you are not alone. And I am going to be brave and share some of my biggest secrets to demonstrate that I'm okay and invite people to share it just with one person because that's what happened on those lines. They just shared it with me. And there was some relief there for them because for some reason, I'm not a therapist. I'm not uh, anyone I would say qualified to hold the space for these And often when I share this, people are like, oh my gosh, you must feel so burdened. And I don't. I don't feel anything. All I feel is this incredible capacity to hold more. Yeah. I have no... It's almost um, energizing in a way because you get to like... I feel like you're learning more. You get to do more. Like it, It fuels me more. Yes. It validates... I'm seeing a reflection of what people need. And I... and. And it didn't feel like that at first, but once I realized it, it felt like, no, 
this is needed and this is this is God or the universe or however you define it. Yeah. This is I'm being told this and and this is now my next job. And so that's what I'm working on now. Thank you so much for listening to that because you've <laughs> obviously you have me crying over oh. here connecting so much to what you're saying. Um <clears throat> I want you to hear this. I love you. Aww. We love you. Thank I feel like you. we need to always live with love. I love yes. how in Spanish we're able to say things like te quiero Aww. and also te amo and how there's some different Aww. meanings in yes. that um, that we don't necessarily have in English. Um, but in, in, in any language, you know, just even through body language and a smile, just to show that love for each other because I feel like that truly is what is going to build upon the conversations that we're having now is to always do it with love. Yeah. And so whenever we are in the deep end of the pool mm -hmm. and we're really uh, the ones just swimming and having these conversations, um, I'll always be there to pick you up. Oh, and I, and I believe that you would be there for me. And I will. And I encourage yes. everyone that is having hard conversations like this to maintain those relationships so that way we can always pick each other up um, whenever we are swimming so hard in that deep end, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, just to wrap this up right now, we've been having such a great long conversation, um, but it's been so, so wonderful. Um, but, um, is there anything, um, that you would like to leave us with when it comes to, um, just encouraging others, um, and helping honor who we are, our uniqueness, our identities, our languages, our bodies, um, just everything about ourselves. Any last words of encouragement that we could learn from you? Yeah, a few. I'm going to cover a few. Go so for it. We're here if for it. <laughs> if I'm going to speak to the different types of listeners. So if you were listening and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I have an idea like that. But I wonder if it's the same as hers and it's probably not. And blah, blah, blah. Like if you did that to yourself in the entire time of this conversation, I'm going to tell you right now, you were right with your first thought. And, this, and so the angels are huge. Having people in your life that think the world of you is your job. Find those people and be that person. And if you don't have enough people in your life like that, be that person and it's like flies to light, they will find you. Hold on to those people. You will find a way. That is what you're here to do. Uh, the second thing is if you're one of those people that are, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Um, if you got value from the depth of this conversation and you just want to let me know what your favorite part was or if you want to tell me or teach me something, please email me uh, or follow me, t communicate with me. People find all the ways, LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm findable. Please uh, reach out to me and just let me know what that I said today made the most impact so that I can get that feedback. And if you have something that you want me to know or a book you think I should read, I'm open to it. Um, and then finally, if you have a stage or a place that you believe my message would resonate in, the only way to get this out outside of special moments like this and at scale is to be live in person and having these conversations where people can experience this. This is an experiential work that I do. And so if you think I might be great for a stage that you go to a conference, please let me know, um, recommend me for it. And you can find out all my information at denisesolarecox.com and also projectenye.com. And we can talk about that. 
I definitely agree with everything that you said, and I encourage everyone who's listening right now to please invite Denise to your organization. She is absolutely so inspirational, as you have heard today. I was fortunate enough to hear her speak as well, and she did change my life, and so that's why I'm so humbled to be um, in your presence today, and thank you for just donating your, your time and your energy for this whenever I know that your time is very, very valuable. Um, again, please do visit visit her website. It is uh, denisesolercox.com. I had said that before, but it's D-E-N-I-S-E-S-O-L-E-R-C-O-X.com. And um, her website is so, first of all, incredible and wonderful. I sent it, um, um, I've seen it before, but I sent it specifically to my partner today to say, Aww. hey, there are some things that I want to do to my website. It looks like hers. Oh, no way. But one Which of the one, th- Project Anya or Denise Siller-Cox? Denise, oh, yes. Really? But I really appreciate also um, how... So seriously, go visit the website. Go read everything about her. She's yeah. absolutely amazing. And she does have easy access to phone calls, text, video I saw. Yes. So many awesome things. And <laughs> truly, um, we're, we're, we're all in this together. So thank you so much for everyone who has listened today. Um, Denise, sinceramente, muchas gracias por todo. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for helping us make some awesome connections today. You're changing the world. Gracias. Of course. Thank you. All right. Bye.